it's Jamie here, and this is The Real Mom Podcast. Today, I am talking to one of my very favorite authors and speakers, Sarah Haggerty, and she did not disappoint. Talking to her was just like reading her books and listening to her speak. She just opened her heart, opened her sorrows and her story to us, and walked us through what it looks like to apply beautiful truths from God's Word through it. She welcomes us into her adoption stories, into her family, into her heart, and just shares such wisdom and truth. I loved getting to meet and getting to know Sarah, and I loved talking with her. I know you're going to enjoy this episode. Here's my conversation with Sarah Haggerty. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Oh, I'm great. Thanks for having me on. I am having like a little bit of fangirl moment because (laughs) I just love you. Because you haven't lived in my kitchen and seen what my everyday world looks like, so it's easy to fangirl. (laughs) That is my answer anytime anyone says like, oh, I love you. I'm like, oh yeah, you don't know me. (laughs) Come over at two o'clock in the afternoon. (laughs) Right. I'm far less exciting, I promise, and messy and sinful. (laughs) Yes. All right. So I just love you as an author and a speaker. I love your perspective and your voice. And then I think what's extra special for me and our listeners is that you're an adoptive mom also. So you're a teacher of God's word and a disciple of Jesus, but then you have this thing that we have in common. And I love how that's peppered throughout your writing and speaking. Mm. So yeah, it's I, always sweet. I, I feel like anytime I'm around other adoptive parents, there's just like this layer that comes off where I'm like, I look at you and you look at me and we get a whole lot of each other's world that a lot of people don't get. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. All right. So introduce us to your family. Well, so current right now, I have a brand new driver who drove my four biggest kids. Over oh, that's for a, a whole new session. phase of life. <laughs> they, they were out last night. And our little kids were in bed and my husband and I just looked at each other like, whoa, are we going to get our evenings back again? Because, you know, I've got teenagers. So like, here's the thing, moms who are listening, who have little people, hold on to your 730 because there's going to be a day when 730 doesn't happen anymore at night. And your teenagers, they just, their hearts like come alive at like nine o'clock at night when you want to go to bed. (laughs) So we had, Nate and I literally were like, whoa. This is a whole new world. Neither one of us even wanted to like speak it out loud that we were so yeah. psyched. We had a moment of quiet in the evening in our house. We just kind of looked at each other. That's so funny. So yeah, you're, gotta, you're right. The way yes. that we just sort of like live for that time. And as my kids get older, so I have an almost 12 year old, that time, you know, <laughs> used to be like six and then evolved to seven. And now it's like nine. And so it's, I've, oh, it's later. And so I've had to like reorient my heart of, I, I can't just keep living for the night. I have to find moments of rest throughout the day. I have to find yes. even just like moments of satisfaction. Like I, I really used to have this live to get the kids in bed and enjoy the night thing. And we're in a transition. I have a 16 year old. Yeah, That's my oldest. I'm a 16 year old. I have two 14 year olds, a 12 year old. And those are my oldest are the children that we adopted. And after 13 years of marriage, we had this totally crazy surprise pregnancy. I was a geriatric pregnancy and He's six now, 
And we thought we were finished like two times over. And who knows? I don't know. I guess in your 40s, you can have a lot of surprises because I had two more babies. So I've got a six-year-old, a three-year-old, and an eight-month-old baby. So it's pretty crazy. We've got like a really widespread. Wow. And is it literally called a geriatric pregnancy or were you just joking? No, that's what they call it. I mean, it's kind of funny. I thought it was funny when it was my first pregnancy was geriatric. And then here I am, what, six years later and had a totally (laughs) kind of can't believe it gave all the baby stuff away, surprise pregnancy. And then, then it wasn't just a geriatric pregnancy. People were sort of like studying me like, wow. You can have a baby at that age. <laughs> we didn't seen, know this was possible. <laughs> we've seen, you know, I just had a 50-year-old in here and I was like, oh man, looks like Nate and I might have 10 more. I don't know. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. So I want to jump more into, well, I guess all of the stories, but I want to hear more about your adoption stories and more about that 13 years and just what it's yeah. like to live that for 13 years. And so start with your, with your adoption stories. Well, I'll say this to start, cause I wonder if a lot of people are in my shoes though. I would say maybe newer adoptive moms or foster moms, maybe not so much, but we adopted before there was a ton of research out there about adoption. Right. And we thought we had read all the books and we went in honestly, completely naive to the extent that it takes to heal a human heart. So maybe just at the onset, all of my stories are colored with a lot of like waking up to the reality of trauma, which it took me seven, eight years of having our four oldest before I really realized, whoa, this doesn't, I think early on, like one of the statistics I heard is the extent of time that they're in your home once it's reached the amount of time that they were outside your home, then you really see healing, which is just ridiculous. I have no idea where that came from. And it's, but I, it like stuck in my mind. And our reality has actually been that it's just, we are waking up to how long it takes to heal a heart. So our first adoptions, I think God used our youth and our zeal and I just us being naive to do something that was what exactly what we needed and so powerful and beautiful, because I think if we knew, we might have, I don't know, in some respects, I think if I knew I would have been a lot more prepared. And I think the, on the other hand, I think God just used me not knowing to lead me to yeah. something that I needed than anything else. For foster care and adoption, I always think of the verse that Abraham followed God, even though he didn't know where he was going. And just like, oh, that's good. We, we say yes to God and he is the one who directs the path and almost in his mercy shows us sometimes the next step or gives us like this big mm-hmm. picture dream vision for what it could be, but doesn't show the entire path because yeah, it would be terrifying. It would crush it us. Would, <laughs> yeah. And really who would say yes? I mean, we love to say like, yeah, our yes is on the table and we say yes to get, but like how many things would we not say yes to if we didn't see, I mean, if we saw how it was going to play out without experiencing the daily grace that carries us through right. it. I mean, that's I the only this, way to get through exactly it. exactly right. That's exactly right. And I think I lead out with that just also to say my husband and I have made a ton of mistakes. And I think at this stage of the game, we have been humbled Hmm. by our poor choices. And 
when I say poor choices, I mean everyday interactions we've had with our kids where we just mishandled their hearts. And so in some ways, you know, people are like, talk to me about adoption. And I'm like, well, I'll talk to you about how I've failed over and over and over again. And right now, I think more than ever, I'm convinced that if there is going to be beauty in our home, it will be by the grace of God. And there is beauty in our home. But, you know, the daily beauty in our home, if people say stuff about our kids or what they see in them, I'm like, these aren't just words. I literally am like, this, this is the work of the Lord because we've failed over and over again with them. Now, don't you think that is the narrative of every mom though? It's really, I mean, in some ways yeah. there are parts of it that are so unique to adoption and foster care because of the piece of trauma. And like you're saying, like all of our kids need help with their hearts, but not all of our kids need help with their brains and bodies and mm-hmm. stories the way our foster and adopted kids do. But I, I mean, my mom has three children who are living passionately for Jesus and you ask her for mothering advice and it'll be so similar to what you just said. Like I can tell you really? about my failures and I can tell you about God's faithfulness, but I, I feel like that's, that's the awesome. humility that comes along with just raising kids and I bet your narrative really wouldn't even be different. Take adoption. It may not out. be. It may not be. It just ha- happens to be the crucible by which I feel yes. the Lord's glory has been revealed. Like I, it feels like the place that I have died and he is resurrecting something. So it happens to be the thing that I point to is like, wow, this is evidence that it is only God. And I really believe it. Like behind closed doors, there's no, there's not a whole lot of Nate and I patting ourselves on the back going, look at how we've parented these kids so well. There's a lot of, I mean, even today, like two hours before this on a counseling call with a counselor for one of my kids and more apologies just before and after me going, I'm sorry, I really screwed that up and I'm sorry. And so, yeah, to him be the glory. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And that is, I mean, That is why you, I love that word you used, crucible. Like, that is what it's all about. Like, if this makes us more like Jesus, and if this, by his grace, Mm. he takes these broken pieces and does something good in their lives, and then he's glorified, like, I think after the fact, it's harder in the moment, but after the fact to go, you know, Mm. by all means possible, by any means possible, that's what I want. And that's right. It's a lot harder in the moment. I know. Oh. <laughs> All right. So give me more specifics because I don't even know that I know this of where and when and a little more of the details of how you brought your kids home. I know so yeah, much of their adopted. stories are really private and need to be protected, but right. I know. But there's some that are just, yeah, it's okay to share kind yeah. of broad strokes. We lived with a family after we were married for a few years, just for a couple of months while we were building a house and while we were living there, they had adopted. And my husband and I actually the first night that we were there went, okay, we think we're here for more than just a place to stay and watching this family for a few months and their kind of blended family. We dynamics, we really felt like the Lord was putting adoption on our heart kind of out of the blue. We just had no idea at the time that we would struggle with infertility. So we like so many people were thinking, Oh, we'll adopt down the line. But then you know, I think it was about seven years into marriage when I realized it's hard to remember those dates blend, but that that we really were having struggles with infertility. And so we started pursuing adoption. We adopted our first two from Ethiopia. They were one and a half and three and a half. 
And while we were there touring the orphanage where they stayed, there was a girl who was maybe like nine, 10, 11, 12. I don't know. Ethiopian birthdays are a little bit of a moving target. Right. But it was clear that no one was coming to adopt her. And her face just burned in my brain. We came home from Ethiopia and I think we're home and honeymooned enough that I just said to my husband, we've got to go back. We need to adopt an older child. And so within a year we start, and, and our first adoptions were so smooth. The transition was so smooth when we got them home mm. that we had just had a year of, I think a lot of it was honeymoon, but I think a lot of it was the grace of God. And so we started a, the adoption process again and adopted two children who were older than the current ones we had from Uganda. They were five and seven. So we kind of broke all the rules and within two years, it had just been Nate and me. And within two years, we went from just the two of us to having four children. It was nuts. I mean, I could, I I had a lot more energy back then. (laughs) I mean, it is, especially when I think you didn't even have experience parenting. So like, no experience. I mean, we'd taken a bunch of classes and read books. Don't, doesn't reading parenting books make you a qualified parent? I sure thought so. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So at what point did you, I mean, was it like day one or at what point did it go from, wow, we had this like grace-filled honeymoon year to like, oh, now we're in the reality of parenting four kids who've experienced trauma and loss. Right away when we brought our second two home, it was really hard. And I, you know, I know everybody's got their own stories, but I think having three unique, two of our kids are biological siblings. So having three unique stories between the four of them and the way that their trauma impacted one another, it was pretty intense. But I think in in some ways I didn't realize it was as intense as it was until many years later, some of it just being the shock. I mean, I don't know, my girlfriends and I who have adopted talk about our own trauma, really. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Bringing kids into our home and not real, like it's like our own ideals getting overturned, which I think is a gift from God. Cause honestly, I think idealism is, is a great danger, especially for believers. Cause I think it opposes the story of God maybe more than we even realize. But so my mm. idealism getting overturned though was, was pretty traumatic. I just don't think I realized until maybe five, six, seven years later, just how hard it was. And then, you know, as my kids hit adolescence, I'm sure a bunch of your listeners have probably read about the brain and the pruning of the brain that happens during adolescence. And so I would say right now we've just, and and I'm not saying anything that we haven't said around the kitchen table with my kids, because I would need to be careful, you know, with teenagers, but we are just coming out of what was a very intense two years. So we had, it was really hard at first. Then we kind of settled into rhythms and it felt like I came up for air a little bit. And then all of mine started to hit adolescence. And it wasn't like I have to frame this for people because I think sometimes on the front end, we just think, oh, it's typical adolescence. I think it really was trauma in the brain connecting during the adolescent period. And we went through probably two of the hardest years I've ever known in my life. And Mm -hmm. we're just really, I would say, in the past eight months or so coming out of that. Hmm. Yeah. Adolescence is always hard. And one reason it's mm-hmm. hard is because of the things that are happening in the brain and body that yes. have already happened to kids who've experienced trauma <laughs> and continue to happen. So it's 
it's right that it mirrors some of the things that we already know and see in our kids because of right. different brain changes and chemical things and just the the way we know now that bodies carry trauma. So so what is it like for you? So you said you had a period of coming up for breath and how kind God is that he allows those seasons of respite. And even <laughs> yes. on a smaller scale, like just always gives the grace we need for, it feels like I'm not going to be able to do this. And then that little period yeah. of respite in the day or the week or the month <laughs> that he always provides. But you've experienced that on a larger scale now. What does it look like for you to now engage with the past two years and deal with your heart now that you've been able to sort of like come up of, okay, God, what did you have in this? And what was good about this? And what were you Mm -hmm. teaching me about yourself and myself in this? I think the gift of having sort of waves of suffering to potentially use a too much of a dramatic word, but I think the gift of having waves of suffering is that I looked at how I handled our infertility and my dad was diagnosed with cancer and died. Like this was in my twenties and into my early thirties. And I looked at how I handled that and it was nowhere near what this last stretch of suffering was because nowhere near in terms of the ability to connect with God. I think because I had started to develop a history of God showing up when the world is falling apart. And so this last time, it literally, I mean, I felt like I was day by day, sometimes hour by hour. Most of my friends knew we were in one of the darkest pits of our life. So it wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot of light, but Mm -hmm. I felt like because I had been through suffering before, and again, it could be too dramatic of a word because everybody's suffering looks different. You know, there's so many greater losses I could have experienced, but because I had been through suffering before and found him there, I felt like this time I didn't have sea legs as much. I like knew... I knew in my head a little bit more the way through is with him and his word. Mm. And so looking back now, I feel like I'm not looking back with the degree of, you know, sometimes if you've been through something really hard and you don't have a lot of clarity and you just sort of survive and you come out of it and you're like staring at your cuts and bruises and you're assessing your bones being broken and you feel like, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to go into something hard again without expecting that it's going to be terrible. Hmm. This time around, I actually felt like I'm looking at my cuts and bruises and the broken bones and going, he carried me. Hmm. And I feel like this, this kind of supernatural sense of gratitude, like you show up, God, my world falls apart. And it is the new story that you are writing in me, which will be the story I pass on to my children is that your world, when your world falls apart, God shows up. And so in a weird way, I just, as we've been looking back in the past, you know, seven, eight months, I have felt a gratitude that I could not have forced. It just feels like, wow, Lord, like you did it. And if this happens again, you're going to do it again, because that's Mm. who you are, which I didn't feel when I was in my thirties as much. That's so, so good. And, and just so who he is in using these hard things. Someone just was asking me, we're going through something really challenging with one of our foster children Mm. with her case. And so I had a friend just say goodbye today to one of her kids and text me and say, how do you do this over and over? And part of my answer is always like, it's like anything else in life. 
that like you get married and you just want to be a great spouse, but you have to learn how to be married and you have to learn. And then like anything you just practice and you get better and it gets easier, but it's, that's not the only answer. The other part of the answer is your confidence in God's character and his showing up, like you're saying, his ability to show up and carry you just get stronger. So you don't have to fight for it as hard. I don't have to fight as hard to believe that he's going to be good to us and carry us through this because I watched him do it 20 times before. And so even though to me, I think, I don't know how I do know (laughs) how, because I know that he's done it before and I know that he'll do it again. And I don't have to like work and dig so deep to access that, it's a lot closer mm-hmm. to the surface. That's so good. It's like a muscle memory. It, exactly. it really is like our, right. we go, okay. Like this time around last year, I literally spent maybe six months in Psalm 23. And I just stayed one verse at a time until oh, I felt man. like a sense of permission to move on to the next verse. I felt like my life was Psalm 23. And so I just, you know, three weeks and the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And Mm. this actually relates to my book, my recent book, Adore. And I would bring all the angst I felt when I read that verse, the Lord is my shepherd, I will not want. I'd wake up in the morning and, and I wonder if some of your listeners can relate to this, especially as we get more attuned to our kids. We know what's gonna trigger them. We know what's coming down the pike in a given day. And so in a sense, having foresight, it can actually be dangerous because we want to prepare for every eventuality so so the whole home doesn't unravel. So I'd wake up being like, whoa, shoot, we've got this doctor's appointment today. This kid has this new, you know, drama class, like all the potential triggers. We become hypervigilant because we're used to watching them be hypervigilant. When I heard, I was like, oh my gosh, yes. That's, I live in the same thing that they do of what are all the things that come at me at any time. Yep. And so I'd sit in the morning in Psalm 23 and it's like, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And I would read that verse. This is what does it look like for me to dialogue with God And I go, I don't feel like you're shepherding me. And Mm. I feel like I have a whole lot of want. I wake up in the morning going, will there be a minute of peace for me today? Will there be a chance for me to take a breath? Will there be a chance where we have a sense of peace in our home, which has really been a great desire of mine. And so, but my dialogue with the Lord is, I don't feel that you're my shepherd. I'm going to be honest with you, God, because really this is what we want from our kids we got to do it with the Lord. Right, right. I feel very much in want, but Lord, I adore you as your word says that you are my shepherd. Like it's this back and forth of, I don't feel it. It doesn't seem to be my reality, but your word says it. And it's not this like coaching myself into like, just believe it. It's the, the psalmist wrestle of, I'm going to lay this out before you right. so that I am vulnerable right. enough to actually receive your word. Because when I am most vulnerable is when I am most likely to actually receive your word. So I'm laying this out. And then I say, thank you, God, that you're my shepherd. I don't feel it, but you're my shepherd. And it's like, in just a few minutes, I start to feel like this reality is seeping a little bit deeper into me. And so as I look back, I go, wow, his word really changed me this, than this past two years. Like I started to believe what his word says in a greater way. Mm. Hmm. Well, I feel like I've had the privilege, as I know many, many people have, of 
learning <laughs> that from you through the book Adore and mm-hmm. just the second part. So I went through your book very slowly. I read it along with my Yay! Bible reading. Yeah. So that's what I wanted. <laughs> really, yeah. That the second part of it, I feel like, yeah, I had Sarah Haggerty sitting with me and this is Aww. what it looks like to wrestle through God's word, to have this truth that we know yeah. is truth and we decide is truth. But then like you're saying, these emotions and the situations that contradict seemingly what we know is truth and having to really wrestle with them and reorient and then pray through them. And, and that is, is a gift. You know, I think people want to apply God's word to their lives and their hearts in a meaningful, authentic day by day sort of way, but don't know what it Mm -hmm. looks like. And your book is a gift to people, I think, who Mm. have said, I want God's word to be real for today, but what does that even mean? Well, this is what it means. It means when you wake up and there's hypervigilance because you know what you're about to face and you believe that the Lord is your shepherd and and your book really did that and is, is a gift. So tell me a little bit more about what just led you to reading it. I mean, you mentioned here the loss of your father and I know your Mm -hmm. sister's health and your adopted children's difficult stories. You just weave your own authentic struggles through this Mm -hmm. book. Tell me how it was born in your heart. Well, you know, I write more of the story in my book, but ultimately a friend kind of called me to the table or called me to the mat. I don't know which is the appropriate metaphor, but well, you're going to sit she, and chat she, or are you going to fight and wrestle? <laughs> yeah, really? Like that's it. And both. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Both. And she just in, encouraged me to adore God in a way that I think my background of like seeing adoration as part of the ACTS acronym. I don't know if you grew up with that, but yeah, yeah. that I was like, sure, I adore God, but she really encouraged me to wrestle with his word and to adore him in the grit and her challenge to me, I think as I look back over the past decade, that wrestling with his word has probably changed me more than anything else. And so I think as I, in, in my other two books, Unseen and Every Bitter Thing is Sweet, I write about adoration, but after writing both of those and having so many people say, walk me through this, like, what does it look like to have this raw and honest dialogue with God, I just had this desire to make it really accessible. Because I feel like what is slowly, you know, as we talked about earlier with this muscle memory, as we walk through suffering, the muscle memory of even when I feel an ache talking to God, I feel like it's, it's become a lot more natural to me. But for a good five, six, seven years, it was work to even know how to do this awkward dance of dialoguing with God when three of my kids are triggered and my baby's screaming and I'm hearing the narrative in my head, which is your life is about ready to spin out of control. You've taken on too much. Your plate is too full, you know, figuring out how do I interrupt system interrupt and talk to God there was a lot of work early on. And I feel like it's become a lot more natural now. And I just wanted to make that accessible to people. Because I feel like, you know, I write in the book, I think we have something like 60,000 thoughts in a day. And there is a whole landscape in our minds that God wants to access. You know, when people say to me, how do you do it? How do you write a book and homeschool seven kids? And I'm like, honestly, I feel like God is taking over the landscape of my mind more and more every year. My thoughts are being really 
are coming under the truth of God and it gives mm-hmm. me a greater capacity than my schedule would ever give. I feel like our minds are our biggest hindrance to, as it relates to capacity. Right. And so this yeah, book, I just so- wanted, I wanted to give to people a way to dialogue with God in his word. All right, friends, I'm interrupting our conversation to ask you to do me a favor. And really, it's not a favor for me. It's a favor for our future listeners. Pause this episode and revisit your podcast app. There you can rate and review this show. Now, this isn't about me getting happy words from you. This is about other people being able to find this. Other biological foster and adoptive moms who can learn from our guests. So if you could do that quickly, that will help those moms to be able to find us. This episode is brought to you by Goods and Better, goods and gear on a mission. Goodsandbetterstore.com is where you can find shirts, prints, jewelry, and other goods that are specific to the journey of foster care and adoption. And major bonus, every purchase benefits a child entering foster care. Through Goods and Better's Buy It Forward program, you get to choose your impact and allocate where you want your donation to benefit. Whether it's luggage for a child entering foster care or baby essentials for a brand new baby, you get to choose where your money goes. Visit goodsandbetterstore.com to look through the array of designs that are made just for you with the mission of providing essentials for children entering foster care. Visit goodsandbetterstore.com and use code REALMOM to save 10% on your entire order. That's goodsandbetterstore.com, code real mom. I love that dialoguing with God and his word because, you know, good Christians just believe what the Bible says and move <laughs> on with their, yeah. and I love, you know, when we lay that all out and wrestle with God and argue what's already there in our hearts and minds and he knows, but like allowing ourselves to come back with the like, but God, what is going on? And Mm -hmm. those very Mm -hmm. David moments of crying out or Job moments of where are you and what are you doing? I, I love the idea that like, we don't have to sanctify our prayers before we come to him. We don't have to take the the dirty parts, the deep, dark parts and make them clean. We bring them to him in that way and into his words so that we can be sanctified. But what you're saying of it just becoming more natural and more like that is a truth that we can hold on to that I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Like we hide it there and it just becomes easier to access and accessible was such a great word. You, you did that for us. You made it accessible. It was a gift. Well, that was my desire. And even more so now, you know, I wrote this obviously before our world literally turned upside down (laughs) and one of the things I keep thinking is like more than ever, we, we are not lacking words. Yeah. Hearing, reading other people's, there's no lack for words right now, but really there is only one word that will heal my heart. Only one word that's going to make me come alive. Only one word that's going to refresh me when I wake up to the same reality I went to bed with the night before. And I feel like more than ever, we need the word of God. And I think even, you know, as I say that some of us might go, wah, 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 because we have right, this right, in right. our heads, like you should do this. You, but I right. really, adoration has been more of a need for me than ever before during this time, probably. And 
it's going to be increasing. So, cause I don't think we're not going, our world isn't going to get more quiet. And as the world gets louder, I just feel like we need an anchor and that's his word. Like yeah. I, I need to have one place where I can go. This is safe. This is true. This is unchanging. Hmm. That's so good. All right. So can you do me, do all of us a favor right now and sort of take us through the, this adoring and this practice of adoring with, I know you've experienced grief and it's interesting to hear you've experienced true suffering and grief. And yet hearing you almost apologize for using that, like it's hard for us, I think to, Mm. we know how much people go through and yet here you yeah. are with, yeah. with 13 years of infertility and losing your father and the grief of what you thought your family would look like and the grief of grieving alongside of and weeping alongside of your children and, and the things they've gone through. And there's real grief there. So speak to me. So we, you know, we are on the cusp of possibly losing a foster child after 18 months. And I, people reach out to me all the time of how do I walk through this sadness? How do I hold my child's story of all they've gone through? And what does it look like for you to walk through grief and to hold worship adoration at the same time? Yeah. I mean, practically speaking, I would say my grief was really thick a year ago, year and a half ago. As I said, I was walking through Psalm 23. And I feel like so much of my human nature wanted to tell me to just get over it already. I feel like I have this inertia in my flesh that wants to dismiss pain, to push through it, and to get productive or do something that makes me feel better about myself. And so during that time, I really felt the need from the Lord to sit in the grief I felt like I will not come out of this a changed person if I just muscle through. I actually think it will be a detriment to my soul. And so adoration in that time looked like, A, giving myself permission to literally sit in the grief. And I'll say this because I actually revisited this even in the past few weeks. There was a new wave of something very painful to me that came up recently. And I just felt the Lord's invitation again, like, I noticed myself wanting to give myself the right answers so I wouldn't have to feel that pain anymore. Mm. And I do this with my kids too. It's like there's something in me that wants the pain to stop for them. So I quickly want to tell them, don't think that shameful thought. That's not at all what I think about you. I actually think this about you. Can you just move on? I don't, I'm not saying can you move on, but in my heart, I'm like, this pain stinks. Stop it. And so in my own heart, I think with God, I just want to plaster the right answer on it when I think the first step of adoration is actually sitting in it. And I think Mm -hmm. we Christians are afraid to sit in it because we're afraid that we're going to become complainers. We're afraid that we're going to become too melancholy. We're afraid that we're not going to see the light of day. When in actuality, if we look at the psalmist, they give us a grid for how to walk through, sit in pain with God. So that when you come out, it really is the joy that comes in the morning. So for me, Psalm 23, you know, when I was in that section where it says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I stayed there for a long time going, almost even staring at the valley of the shadow of death. Now I say that, and there's probably a lot of people that are like, we don't want to stare at darkness. Mm. We don't want to. But, but the, the truth is, and we know this for our kids, right? If we rush them past this, they're going to be 
35 yeah. with their own children, feeling it all again and having no idea what to do. But if we can do it ourselves and take them through it, they actually move through and past it. So the, sitting in the valley of the shadow of death, I would say, this is how it looked like for me, is going, this is how it feels. These are the emotions that happen in my head. This is what happens in my body. This is how I talk to my husband. Like just doing a study of myself in the pain yeah. so that I can bring it to God. Hmm. And then saying, like then inviting his word in and saying, I'm in the valley of the shadow of death. You said it in your word, God, you know it, you see it. I'm going to feel it. I'm not going to run away from it. And in feeling it, I'm going to invite your presence yeah. and your word in. And your word says, I will fear no evil. So God, there's something in here that makes me fearless. It's you. Hmm. It's you, God, I invite your presence. I mean, it was like many days of that, of like not letting myself power through, not letting myself have the right answer not letting myself heal myself, like literally yeah. sitting in it and going, I'm going to cry and I'm going to let you hold me in your lap. I mean, we had a counselor friend of ours who said at some time, Sarah, you just need to let your husband run his fingers through your hair. Let him be God to you and just hold you because this is what God does. He doesn't tell us now, can you get on with it? Right. So I feel right. like Believe the right thing and get over it and yeah. move on. Right. Yes. I think adoration invites God into what could be an otherwise dangerous space. If we just sat and looked at the grief without his word in our hand, I think it could get really murky. Adoration is where I sit with it and then I invite his word in. And it's like, there's, there's a healing that happens when those two things merge. That is really beautiful. And that is the gift of this book. And so anyone listening, if you want to learn to apply God's word in this way and learn to, okay, I'm walking through this difficult thing. What does it look like to access just the power and the joy that comes from God's word? That is what Adore does. And I'm really grateful that you, you basically, I felt like invited us into your quiet times. Like, I just felt like, oh, I know how Sarah like wrestles with God and I know how she comes to his word. And, and I think, you teach that and then you show us what it looks like and it's just a gift. So I loved this thank book you. and it really served me for the, you know, month I spent in it. So thank oh, you. That's awesome. That's All right. Awesome. So we're going to move on and, and change gears. I want to just kind of talk as moms, as women. I want to know what you are doing, eating, reading, watching, and listening to. So what is Sarah Haggerty quarantine style doing? How much are well, you I like, quarantining where you are right now? Well, no, much of the restrictions have lifted. So yeah, okay. we have not been in full quarantine here. Still being cautious that we've, we've kind of had normal life has resumed for the most part for where okay. we are. So right now what I'm doing is sitting at home celebrating that I have a 16-year-old who's driving and I'm not. <laughs> I will say I'm start. I'm training for a race. I don't know if the race is going to happen. I suspect the race is going to be canceled, but this is the first time in like six years that I'm getting back in the saddle and I'm going to run. I just feel like I need to, I just felt actually I, in prayer, I felt like this was the time to start doing something I loved again. So, that's so what, and what, what kind of race is it? Like what's how long? It's a half marathon. Okay. Half marathon. 
And so how hard will that training be for you? Will you just jump right in or are you going to work hard for it? Well, I've been running, but you know, it's so sad. This is age. I used to like, you know, be able to even kind of come close to winning races and I have slowed down two minutes per mile from my, <laughs> the last time I, I mean, two whole minutes for a runner, any runners listening, you know, that's like, that's a right. lot. So I think I'll just be doing like the little turkey trot, you know, prancing here and there till I get to the end. So you're going to finish it and that's what matters. <laughs> All right. What are you eating? Does anyone else feel this? And when the summertime hits, it's like I crave vegetables and fruits. I don't know. So that's what I'm eating these days. I agree. I feel like the everything I want, everything I, which I guess God created the world and our bodies to function that way. And we Uh just have kind of like superseded it with the grocery store where everything's available all the time. But I agree. I want like a smoothie and a salad and my whole vibe changes in the summer. Versus all in the winter when all I want is cookies. (laughs) Bread. I just want bread and pasta. (laughs) All right. What are you reading? So I have this like weird quirk where I read like 10 books at a time. Oh, me too. 100%. Oh, good. Good, good, good. So that's why it takes me a long time. One of the interesting books that I'm reading right now is not Great Expectations. Oh, no. Why am I frozen? It's a Dickens book and I'm completely frozen on the title, but someone else will step in and help me. (laughs) I I was going to say, if you, Dickens is my favorite author. If you tell me a little bit of the plot, I bet I could get you on the topic. It is Oliver Twist. It's got to be Oliver Twist. It's Oliver Twist. Sorry. I was thinking it's not because I had envisioned myself having already finished, but no, it's Oliver Twist. I actually love Dickens. He's not my favorite, but I cycle through. I'm always, try try and always read a classic at at any given time. And this just happens to be the one that I'm on. So I think we probably have similar reading habits. I have this like a classic and a really easy read sort of fiction. And then like a deep theological book and a lighter one. Yes. Social issues and yep. you just listed all my categories right there. That's, That's awesome. So <laughs> yeah, I love I went on a crusade in like college to read all of Dickens' work and I read every last <gasps> really? bit. Really? Yeah. Good and for I, you. Yeah, so he really is your favorite author. I mean, he's an well, excellent writer. I, like, obviously, he's honest, an excellent writer, but was. I mean, like, I feel like he's he's a very. I can get the literary yeah part of him. Like, I can. My brain grows when I read him, but I actually really enjoy the storytelling, which well, is not always I the case with with the yeah, classics. Yeah. Yes. I, what I love also is just his focus on like social issues. Like he was a progressive. He was bringing yeah. light to to all of the, you know, social justice issues that were on the table then. And so I loved the way yes. he used storytelling to bring to light the needs of others and to engage people who were so disconnected from those needs. And like, you love these characters and you realize, oh, there are children just like the Oliver Twist in our city. And I, right. it's so powerful. I love that. Sorry, I'm nerding. I'm doing my what's my your favorite What's your favorite out. author now? You said he was. So who's your favorite author now? Yeah, I mean, well, Jane Austen is really my favorite author. So she's like, mine. she's yes. is she? Oh, I, yes. I persuasion. I've never. I had never read it before this fall. It is so good. It is so good. I love. I've read them all a number of times. All my kids actually. I have an Elizabeth, a Darcy, an Eleanor, and an Emma. I love it. My yeah. so we my last baby we named her middle name is Jane after Jane Austen, but she, oh, don't tell I anybody that. that. 
because I we're not telling people that I named a child after Jane Austen. <laughs> Just your podcast listeners. <laughs> yeah. All right. Everyone, let's take it back. We won't tell anyone. All right. Well, I think we could just keep talking about books. On I know. All, sorry. We don't have to yeah, get no, no. It's fun to find someone who, who nerds out on it as much as I do. <laughs> but <laughs> yes. all right. What are you watching? Not a whole lot. I'm watching Lark Rise to Candleford. Did you ever see that very old series with my daughter, Lily, no. my oldest, who's 16? I mean, like all cheese, like basically anybody who's listening is going to be like, she has ch- such cheesy viewing preferences <laughs> that and when calls the heart, can I even admit that I've just told you that I named a child after Jane Austen. And now I'm admitting that I watch when calls the heart with oh, my daughter. That's so, so great. That's hey, what I'm watching. <laughs> that is the, that's the whole point of this portion of the show is we like dig into these really hard things. And then at the end, it's like, <laughs> oh, I listen to Justin Timberlake and I'm watching <laughs> All right. What are you listening to? Let me think. What did I listen to this morning? John Thurlow is one of my favorite musicians. I don't know if you've heard him before. His wife has a huge heart for orphans, but Mm. he's been my morning run selection because he's got fast stuff and slow stuff. Your people need to find him. He's awesome. All right. All right. We'll link to it and, and I'll look into it myself. And yeah. we're also going to link to your books, all of which I love. And like I said, oh, I can't awesome. enough. They are, I mean, you're just, first of all, a really talented writer, a beautiful oh, writer. And you. you you come with such wisdom. But more than that, just leading us back to the Savior and teaching us what it looks like mm. to apply his word. So I am so grateful just for your voice and the way that it's been in my life for years, but also just today, really digging into some of these hard things. And this was awesome. Yeah, I really, I really appreciate it. So thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Real Mom Podcast. You can find us in all the places, realmompodcast.com for our landing page, where we'll connect you to the guests and all the links and info from this episode. On Facebook, search Real Mom Podcast, and on Instagram, at Real Mom Podcast. Thanks for listening.